Not a single other species harms our planet, just us. I was sitting with a chief of the Khoisan people, and I asked him, what's the one thing or the one message you would ask me to, to go home and teach? And he said, to plant a potato. And I thought, what are you telling me? <laughs> I think I chose to come here. I don't think it's a punishment by God because life is just fucking hard and you have to just grind through it. Trees can heal us. So how do I communicate with trees or animals? Because I love them so much. We will never understand how to take care of a planet that we have lost connection to. I don't believe in that whole, it's your carbon footprint that's doing it. Yeah. That's a big boardroom decision to protect the image of a company who's throwing trash out and blaming it on the individual. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I get that question a lot. Mm. The world is just messed up. Why don't you just give up? That would be catastrophic, not for the planet, but for yourself. Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Truman Show. Today in English, because we recorded a podcast with no one else than little grandmother Kisha. Uh, she's from the United States. She lives in the Netherlands at the moment, but she's from the United States, so that's why we recorded it in English, and I'm also doing this intro in English. Little Grandmother Kisha, she is a spiritual teacher, shaman, public speaker, wisdom keeper, and author of two books, Earth, Fire, Wind, Our Connection to Mother Earth, and also Message for the Tribe of Many Colors. Um, it was really nice to have a talk with uh, Kisha because she has so much wisdom and knowledge learned from all the tribes she visited around the world and all the um, events she did and, and spoke on. And we spoke on a lot of different subjects, but the main thing is, I think, the, our connection that we lost to nature and how important it is um, to have that connection with nature, to really move forward to a better world and create a better world that we all are seeking for. And we also had a long conversation about her mission because her mission is to help reignite a deep remembrance in humanity of their own great potential and their relationship to Mother Earth. And I think this is so important at this moment because if we start to remember our great potential and live our great potential, then everything changes. So this podcast, I think it's very helpful um, and very hopeful as well. And before you're going to listen or uh, look at the podcast, subscribe to the channel that you're looking at this at the moment, so YouTube or Spotify, and it helps us um, enormously. And also please share the podcast with your friends and on your social media. Also on thetrumanshow.com, you can uh, support us financially, which obviously helps us to build a studio and the podcast and everything around it. Thank you so much for your help, and I wish you a lot of fun listening to the podcast. Kisha, thank you so much for uh, joining us in our studio today in Rotterdam. It's my pleasure. It's been a while coming, but we finally are sitting here at the table. So when do you think our conversation started or were you getting, getting you in the, in the podcast? I think it was a year ago. I think honestly. so as well. Yeah. It was a year ago. But yeah. now now we're here. It's all meant to be. It's all, it's all meant to be. <laughs> we're going to make a party. Yeah, we're going to do a party today. Yeah. Um, all the way from Maastricht, right? Or in yeah. the, the south the south of Netherlands. Yep. Oh. How is that? Uh, because you're... Um, American, right? Yes. How's it living in the Netherlands compared to uh, to the States? Oh, that's a big question. Yeah? Yeah. Nice. It's a good start question. Though. It is. Uh, everything's different. Yeah? Everything. Yeah, from um, 
the simple things like how houses look, that there are many families in one house. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Everybody has a neighbor. For me, I guess the strangest thing would be that if you go for a walk in nature, it's not really nature. You Mm. will always find a road, a bench, people uh, walking. You know, you can't get lost here. So there is no... How I grew up in Colorado was so far out in the middle of nowhere. You're surrounded by just uh, wildlife, wild mountains everywhere. And so to come to the Netherlands, I I felt like everything had kind of closed in on me Mm. because I was used to that wide open space. And I miss, of course, uh, the wildlife and the open space. But the exchange from the closed-mindedness of where I grew up in America and the closed hearts and the closed minds and the political system and all of that compared to what's here in the Netherlands, I would exchange it a hundred times over. Yeah? Yeah, absolutely. Whoa, that's a plot twist. Absolutely. You know, I first moved here and we we were moving into our house and we had the village women come and say, oh, Maishas, would you like a glass of wine? And completely open. They just loved us for, for being us and... Uh, we've never experienced uh, any kind of uh, negativity for being a lesbian couple or um, yeah, there, there's none of that. And I came from a very strict, strict Mormon background. So everything was judged harshly. Oof. Everything was extremely strict. So I went from one to another. And so, yes, I can miss the wildlife and I can miss the mountains, but I would do it a hundred times again. Nice. Everything has its plus and its downsides, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. But the thing is, like, because what you said, like, Netherlands, I think um, it's even that none of the forests in the Netherlands are original forests. They're all planted, Mm -hmm. like, every single one of them. Mm -hmm. That's weird if you come to think about that, right? Yeah, there's no old growth forest. No. Yeah. So Um, everything is man made. Yeah, and regulated. And regulated. Yeah, I remember one of the funniest things, and I'm I'm not picking on Dutch people, really. <laughs> one of the first things uh, I came to the Netherlands, and Joyce, my wife, really wanted to um, kind of give me that wild feel again. And she said, we have uh, wild bisons, bisons uh, by Nijmegen. So we went, and they were cows. And I was like, okay, bison, you know, <laughs> or the wild horses that are in the Netherlands but are just in a field surrounded by, you know, they're, they're fed hay and taken care of. And so... Of course, it's very, very different from the wilds of Colorado, but it's all regulated. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, and and that that's it's it's kind of a weird, weird feeling when you come to think about it. That like in even the nature in a, in a country like the Netherlands, and I don't think the Netherlands is like unique in it, um, is not even real anymore. Yeah, the the old wild is gone and has been for a very long time. But I think that's. Um, excluding Eastern Europe, I would say most of Europe, it's the, in the same boat. People have been here for so very, very long. Um, uh, Pre-Neanderthal have been here all the way up till this day. Of course, America still has very wild places because it's so enormous and it hasn't been habitated completely. But when we're talking about these small European countries, yet the old uh, wood growth it is gone. It, it has been harvested. And the the farm and agriculture has been here for, for decades. Yeah. Yeah, the old growth is, is definitely gone. Do you think it's possible to get it back or should we even want to get it back? Um, I want to get it back because when you go back to original species, 
everything from like my son uh, is working in microbiology he's studying about the the natural grasses of the netherlands which there are many wild species that only grow here mm. but they're almost completely gone because of the one grass that has taken over but because of that the biodiversity drops almost to nil because you take out the wild species um for example, you need uh, birch and fir trees are best friends. So if you take away the birch, uh, fir suffers. But if you take away fir, the hardwood, the birch suffers. And in the Netherlands, you'll see it a lot because they're not naturally together anymore. So the birch, the white trees that you see often are broken down. Uh, they break, snap in the wind, and they'll fall over. They, they're the first ones to go in a windstorm. Because fir, the hardwood tree, is not there to give it its nutrients. They they share these um, um, the food between them uh, to make them stronger or to live longer. And so you naturally see these species suffer because their natural friends, their natural environment, that ecosystem is gone. And when an ecosystem collapses, we're not just talking about plants or grasses or fungi. We're talking about the insects. If the insects go, it's all over. To be honest, if the insects and the fungi are are um, hurt, the rest is going to fall apart. And you can pretty much see that um, a lot of the European countries have lost their biodiversity, have lost or is suffering greatly. Um, insect losses, the, the biggest one now, amphibian loss is, is major. It's the species that will go first. Well, we're already losing them um, several a day. And without it, it's the whole ecosystem around it, it which has crumble. problems. Yeah? Yeah. 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 So, is isn't the big problem here that um, man thinks we think that we are bigger at, than nature at a certain point? That that also that even if we try to restore some of the in in this case in Netherlands the forest, right, by planting trees and doing this and doing that, or growing grass, or that we think that we're doing the right thing for nature, but it's not really that because we still try to control every mm. little part of, of nature instead of thinking, well, nature is so big, like we should be humble to nature, right? But that would mean uh, who is going to get up, give up their house and their living situation to let it go back to nature and let it go back to wild. At a certain point... If we take over the living habitat, if we take over the environment, we now must take on the responsibility to care for it. Mm. And I think a lot of people don't quite understand this balance that needs to happen. Um, I know a few years back there was a, a huge argument about how how we need to cull some of the deer in, in the Netherlands because the populations got um, so large. And a lot of spiritual people were emailing me so angry that this is going to happen. But my question to them is, okay, so if you don't want to control the deer population, what land are we going to give them to continue to breed and to continue to eat? Mm. Um, we have to be responsible. We've done this. We've encroached in into their habitat. So now we have to manage it. It's the same in Colorado. Um, the elk populations get so large in a confined space that then the animals will start starving. Disease starts to spread. Um, it becomes a huge problem for the entire herd. So yes, you have to cull them or let so many hunting licenses be sent out so that some of those animals will be taken so that you maintain a healthy herd. The point is, 
we human beings are never going to say, let's cull ourselves, right? Lessen the human population and give so much uh, of the planet back to nature. That's not going to happen. It's just not. So we have to manage what we do have in a healthy, respectful, understood way. And I think the understanding of nature is what is lacking here. We don't understand how the elements work with one another. We don't understand the interconnectedness of all of these species, plants and animals and fungi and insects. Most people have no idea what's going on outside of their window. We just think a tree is a tree and water is water. But (laughs) most people have no idea how deeply interconnected every species is to each other. Mm -hmm. And until that becomes... Um, a common thread in what we're taught in schools or what's taught at the dinner table. We will never understand how to take care of a planet that we have lost connection to. Mm. And I say this very seriously. There is 8.7 million species on planet Earth, and there is only one species that has disconnected themselves from the circle of life. That's all. Jesus, yeah. Only one species. And that one species has not only disconnected itself from the circle of life, it's the only species harming our planet. The only one. Not a single other species harms our planet, just us. We're the only one that creates trash, takes more than what we need, disturbs the other environments. Uh, We are constantly, you said it before, uh, human beings have kind of taken control of And I don't think we can stop and rewind the clock. No. Uh, We have this technology. We have built ourselves up. We will continue uh, to go forward in building ourselves. But will we do it hand in hand with understanding and respecting the one thing that is keeping you and I alive and our parents and our grandparents and anybody to come after us, this very planet? Mm-hmm. Until we can have an understanding and it's taught it, uh, to, for common knowledge to our children and for each other, this planet is what is giving us life. Therefore, we should take care of this planet so it can sustain us. That's, that's common sense, but it's not taught to us in school. I can ask a, a simple question. How many of us know how a tree, a leafy tree, it stays alive because it can create photosynthesis sugars to feed itself? Right? Well, in the winter, all of those leaves fall off. How is it alive? Most people cannot answer that question. And yet we're all raised with trees. We all know that trees photosynthesize through their leaves. That's how they create food and they stay alive. Well, in the winter, that tree is going to lose its leaves. How is it alive? We have no understanding of the most common concepts of nature. It's not taught to any of us. It's alive because psilocybin and the, uh, the fungi, the roots, the, the network in the soil, it's because other trees and other plants are feeding it through this. But it's such, to me, it's the essence of common sense. We mm. live on this planet and we don't understand anything about it because it's somehow not important. And that drives me crazy. Mm-hmm. Without Mother Earth, there is no oxygen. You wouldn't be breathing right now, nor would I. Every breath in our lungs is a free gift from Mother Earth. Everything on the planet needs water to survive. It's a free gift from Mother Earth. 
uh, every meal we eat, uh, everything that's keeping you and I alive right now and our ancestors and those to come after is from this planet, yet it's not even a subject taught to us as kids. No. So how is it that we're all supposed to grow up and respect and care for and take care of our planet as we move forward? That's a big ask of people when it was never taught to them as a concept to actually care about. And if you care about something, therefore you will protect it. Yeah. But I mean, there are a lot of, I don't know, scientists, but a lot of people nowadays uh, trying to tell us that we don't need anything on, on planet Earth, that every, we, everything can be man-made, we can, our food can be 3D printed. Um, I don't know what they're all, they, they're all thinking about, but um, the concept of us living in nature is getting further and further away from realities somehow, I think. Maybe a lot of group of people are waking up and not so, but in the mainstream, I think it's a lot of, a lot of that. Man-made's better, that we don't need nature. Mm-hmm then I would say they're very, very uneducated. That's what I think as well. The electricity behind every outlet uh, needs fire and water. Um, everything in this room, from the table that we're sitting at to what is underneath our feet to the very clothing that you are wearing is from this planet. Absolutely everybody needs uh, the four elements, nature, to survive. Oxygen is not man-made, water is not man-made, our real food is not man-made, absolutely not. It is about this planet. None of us would be here without it. And that's what I mean, there is such a lack of education going on here. If you, if you don't understand the natural world, how will you fall in love with it? And without falling in love with the natural world, why in the world would you want to protect it? That's a problem. Because every single one of us need it. Mm. Yeah, I just I was thinking about the fungi part. I was maybe Rulof, maybe you can find the video about um, fung. I think it was um, an experiment in with fungi in Japan, the subway station. Did you see oh, that? Yeah, how it moves? It, it takes the natural course, and it's the same as the subway station. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. So I already, already that was the clue. <laughs> okay, <laughs> um, but but it's it's so it's so insane about how like how much we still can learn about everything going on in nature, and especially that fungi and how how it acts and reacts with the trees and stuff. Mm-hmm. It's insane. It's the one thing that's connecting everything. Um, just like losing insects would uh, spell absolute doom on our planet if we lose fungi, it's game over without question. It is the one thing that shares all the nutrients um, uh, from one plant to the next. It's what's keeping everything alive. Mm. If I was to tell you that mother plants, say uh, mother trees that uh, give off the the best pine cones that will regenerate uh, the forest. It doesn't matter how far away that pine cone has flown in, in, the, in the air or the storm before it lands and regenerates. That mother tree knows where her children are. We know that scientifically now. Yeah. And she will feed it up to 70% of her nutrients through the fungi. So somehow, what? not only does the mother tree know where the seedling has landed and now has sprouted up, she knows how to control her food, her nitrogen, her phosphorus, through her roots, through the fungal web to her child. 
Absolutely. And we also know when a mother tree dies, she knows she is going. She will pump all of the leftover nutrients, uh, phosphorus and, and nitrogen, through her roots to her babies. That is insane. It's the truth. Our planet is miraculous, and there's so much for us to know. I I could talk about it for days with so many examples of this. Um, Plants know how to taste. They know how to feel. They know how to see. They know how to communicate with each other. There's so much scientific evidence happening now with with plants and animals. It, It will blow your mind. But the more you learn about our natural environments and our ecosystems and our habitats, the more you really do fall in love with it. And you can see it as something other than something outside of ourself. Mm. Because when you understand that plants and animals share this family bonds and real love and communication and connection and inter- interrelationships, you see it as something more. So therefore, you give it more value. And if something has value, then you can love it and then you can protect it. And that's where my job comes in. I want everybody to love the planet as much as I do. Yeah, but it's a, it's a, good, it's a good point that you raise because how can you even love something that you clearly don't understand at all, right? Yep, so if you understand something, the more you understand something, the more you can love something. And the more you love something, the more you're willing to protect it. Yeah. Yeah. But also, like, like this was this was a really good story about the pine cones and the tree. Um, but if you, that's so clever. That's so clever. That's so clever. It's way more clever than we human beings can <laughs> come up with, right? It actually proves that a tree can predict, can know that something's happening. When a mother tree is going to die, she really does know it, and therefore she will predict how long she's got and how long it takes to send the nitrogen and phosphorus to her children, no matter how far away they are, through the fungal network. We can tap this. We can watch it happen. We can scientifically uh, find this field and understand how it's working. Yeah. Rudolf, you found... um... It's a different video, but this one shares the same concept. So a fungus will move in the... The best way to get to the locations of food and how to uh, spawn and keep moving. And that's exactly what the the Japanese railway stations have done as well. That's it, right? Yeah. It just looks... it's, it's, It's so clever. Look at that. So, but do you think there's um there's more knowledge... Or maybe not even more knowledge, because probably we know this for quite some time as well, but do you think that um, it's more accessible to people maybe, or that people are really opening up for it? Very much so. I think this new generation coming up, those that are becoming adults now, like my children's age, um, I think they're inwardly desperate to know because they have a future that's in question they have a planet that's in their future that's in question. Things are changing. That's that's not a what if. It is now this is the situation and things are changing. So they need to, and I think they want to, um, <clears throat> get a hold of um, any information that gives them a grasp on what their planet is going to look like in the next 50 years. Mm, yeah. So there is a need, there is a want, and there is a curiosity. And I think now is better than 
ever before, unless unless you're a lucky individual that can be raised by indigenous tribe or something where they can pass down their knowledge. It, it's never been better. We've got great authors, great scientists, great networks of information out there, and it's available to all of us. They're writing books. They're sharing it on the in- Internet. And it's so easy to type something in into the Internet and, and be able to get the answers. Mm-hmm. Um, something like the Wood Wide Web. If you look up the Wood Wide Web, you will learn so much about trees that you never thought possible. But it's all there, and it's proven by science. It's not just an idea. We now know trees can smell, uh, feel, taste, and warn each other all through this Wood Wide Web and other senses that we would have never known about. But now because science is evolving, we can understand uh, uh, so much more. Mm. So it's all available. But it's also a choice, right? It's a choice to dig deep, find out, and learn this knowledge that it's my passion. So people like me that will write a book, all you have to do is read that book and you get so much information. But there's so many people like me and and also scientists that that information is there for them. Mm. But, and here's a but, and I hate the word but, but, but it's there. We do have all of this information and all of this science, but who's paying attention when it comes to our governments and our politics and our big companies that are actually the ones involved in destroying our planet? They don't care to seem to follow the rules or even really put so much care into it. I will give you another example, the the plight of the Brazilian nut tree. And uh, that's where we get our Brazilian nuts from. People like to munch on them, but most people have no idea that the Brazilian nut tree is um, going extinct. Um, But it's also worshipped by many, many different uh, cultures as as sacred. Three uh, countries um, have made it illegal to cut down a Brazilian nut tree, and yet they clear-cut the rest of the forest. Well, that means you've killed a Brazilian nut tree because the Brazilian nut tree can, it gives off a seed pod, right? And that seed pod falls to the floor and it's about the size of a coconut, I would say. It's very, very hard. There's only one animal that can open a Brazilian nut pod and that's called an agouti. A what? An agouti. And an agouti is about the size of a, a house cat. But it That's has, small. yeah, hmm. it has the teeth and the powerful jaws enough to open this seed pod. It's the only animal that can. Now, the agouti, once it gets the seed pod open, it will eat a couple of the very fatty, rich nuts and bury the rest. So, what it's done is it's planted little baby uh, <laughs> trees, right? Now, the story there it gets even more almost impossible to imagine. There's an orchid. This orchid flower only grows at the very top of the canopies of a Brazilian nut tree. And it takes a male uh, orchid bee. It's the only animal that can open up the flower pod to pollinate that orchid. Now, the female will only breed with the male orchid bee that smells as much like an orchid flower. But she does another job. She pollinates the Brazilian nut tree itself. So now you've got three species that only will dictate the Brazilian nut tree to live. And you've clear-cut the forest. So now in three countries, 
In South America, you have entire cleared cut forests, nothing but soil, and a lone single Brazilian nut tree standing around. The Brazilian nut tree will go extinct. There's no agouti. There's no female orchid bee. There's no male orchid bee. There's no orchid flower. That is just the plight of one tree. Mm. All of these species, every single species on our planet, has an interconnected relationship with another. If you pull one chain out of the link, or one link out of the chain, it's all going to fall apart. And it's the human beings just plowing away at this chain, and we expect everything to still be okay. And it won't be. We have to have an education. We have to have an understanding. Therefore, we will fall in love with and then protect the very thing that is giving us life. Mm. So, like, when you were telling the story, it gave me goosebumps because it's so... Uh, until the extinction of the tree. But, like, mm -hmm. how, how it's... Yeah. So, it gave me goosebumps because it is, like, magnificent how how nature works. It's so beautiful. It's insanely, and uh, it's insane just how, how it works. And, and if you just listen to it, it gives you goosebumps because yeah. it's so beautiful. But then, obviously, <laughs> now it's extinct. So, it, um, But we know. That's the hard part. That's what frustrates me to death. Science knows these stories. Hmm. We know this interconnectedness. Yet, go ahead and log the entire forest. Because we don't we don't see it as as it as as something big bigger than us actually yeah. right it's yeah. just like, so oh we, well we don't care about the tree whatever it's it's the value the the money value of the forest but they don't understand that that forest is all, actually it's got millions of species that are all interconnected to give us the life we have oxygen water air land all the things that we need to survive are created in these ecosystems. Man can't live without it, period. No, but we, and we need to understand that we, that we are part of it, right? Yes. Because you cannot extract yourself no. and expect everything to go fine. No, because an, an example in the beginning of the, of the deer in the Netherlands, mm -hmm. like, okay, there are too many deer, um, but it's, it's, so we are still part of the ecosystem. So like when there are too many animals, it's, it's, a logical thing that will happen is that we kill animals to eat them or whatever because we we are still part of that ecosystem, right? We are not separate from that ecosystem. We are part of the ecosystem and we are intelligent beings. Therefore, we have to give value to the wild just as much as we give value to a political party. You know, we have to give value to life. I don't expect human beings to ever stop eating uh, meat. I don't think that's ever going to happen. I don't think human beings are ever going to stop using an airplane. We've learned how to fly. That's never going to stop. We can't expect people to stop using an automobile. Uh, once you've progressed to a certain state, you will keep going. But we can get smart. We already know that uh, 71% of all crops go to cows just so we can eat beef. 71%. Now, that 71% of crops could be uh, used to feed all human beings on planet Earth, but that's not what we choose. We choose to feed beef so we can have hamburger. We can get smart. We can look at things with different eyes, with a different heart, with different value. It's about placing value where it needs to go. Mm. We, I don't expect us to all of a sudden all become vegan and just um, sit around a campfire and, and sing Kumbaya. It's never going to happen. But we can give value to nature. 
um, protect certain amounts of it. If we're going to have wildlife in an area, we have to take care of it. We have to give them certain amount of space. We need to give them corridors to move back and forth. We have to keep um, healthy ecosystems. And in order to keep healthy ecosystems, you must have all of those links in the chain. Um, I think many people have heard the story about how wolves create uh, healthy rivers. No. No, uh, maybe, but no, okay. not sure. So that's, uh, I think, a more well-known one. But all of these links in the chain has to be there. Um, you take wolves out of uh, an area like Yellowstone is where this was documented. The deer come and the elk come and eat along the river systems. Now, the little plants mm. and the grass near river systems is like elk candy, deer candy. It's where all the the greenest uh, sweet grass, we call it, um, grows or the new little branches of new trees. So that's like elk candy. Well, instead of just coming down and munching early in the morning before the carnivores are out and then running back to the trees for safety, they know there's no carnivores. So they eat solely along the riverbanks. Now, the riverbanks have lost all of the root systems that hold the riverbanks in place, and so the riverbanks start to move and meander throughout the land. And now all that silt, all that dirt is picked up into the river system, so it kills all the little baby fry, the baby fish. It kills all of the the snail eggs, the fish eggs, the dragonflies, the insects. Everything cannot live. It suffocates in that water because it's got too much dirt in it. Everything starts to collapse. Um, beavers are gone. Uh, different animals are moving in. The coyotes get way too numerous. Uh, all kinds of chaos is happening in the ecosystem. The moment you reintroduce a wolf, the populations, the elk stay away from the riverbanks. Everything becomes solid again. Everything starts to thrive. Wolves create healthy river systems. Uh, but you can pick any animal on the planet. I can do this with it. Mm. Um, if you know how to look at these ecosystems and how they're kept ba a balance. In Africa, we're losing so many species in Africa are becoming extinct. Uh, let's take the rhinoceros, for example. We've also already lost the, the northern uh, right uh, rhino. Um, But rhinoceroses are extremely important. If you think of the savanna or the wild land in Africa, in the drier zones, you have much of it, it's called salt grass. And salt grass is that rough, tough grass that you see out there that's yellow, it's dry, uh, twigs, uh, dried leaves, all of this kind of stuff that animals can't eat. It's too rough. The rhinos can. Now, the rhinos move in and they start eating this rough, tough uh foliage and dry grass and they've got a giant stomach just like a cow it's different chambers so they can eat tons of it it chews it up and out comes the other end pure fertilizer so this great fertilizer comes out the other end and rhinos create what's called a midden it's huge piles of poop all of this goes into the soil pure nitrogen and up comes sweet grass the soft green grass, which brings in all the other carnivores and if our uh, omnivores and if all the other uh, plant eaters come in, then come in the carnivores. And now you've got a whole circle of life. You pull out that rhino, the whole land will go to salt grass and everything else will have to go. Every species plays a very certain point uh, chain 
a link in that chain. If you pull one out, it's going to fail. The more we learn about our planet, the more we understand, the more we will want to take care of uh, and provide. And so, yes, I don't think that human beings will ever turn back the clock. We'll stop using electronics. We'll stop using airplanes. We'll stop traveling. That's not going to happen. All of us are not going to stop eating meat tomorrow. That's not going to happen either. Let's be realistic. So as we progress, as we move forward, let's also keep in mind and give protection, understanding, uh, and love to the rest of the circle of life and the Mm. rest of the chain, not just ourselves. We can't just put ourselves first and expect everything else to be okay. Yeah, but isn't it also quite difficult to understand our own um, spot in that chain? Because we are also like in that chain, right? We're also mm-hmm. part of the same chain. Very much so. We are primate, yes. Yeah, So, but it, with all the progress and with all everything that we're doing, it's quite difficult to see ourselves in that chain, right? Mm-hmm. Because we almost think that we need to control that chain instead of seeing ourselves as part mm-hmm. of, of, the, of, the, of the chain. And that's part of the biggest teaching. That's the reason why I was called to little grandmother. That is why I'm doing my work. Because it's so important for us to believe in self, to believe in our place, to know that our passion and our purpose has a, has a reason and that we are part of the circle of life. And once you step back into that circle, things get so much easier. Nothing about the circle of life tells you that you have to wear the, the newest uh, style, um, have the biggest pat on the back for your, your job title or what others can love you for. Nothing about that circle of life is telling you that you are good or that you are bad or that you are less than or that you are more than. There's not a single tree in the forest that looks down on a blade of grass and says, you are less than me. Nothing in the circle of life does that. Only humans. We have each other up on pedestals or knocked down under the soles of our feet. Uh, We talked about it earlier today, how we greet each other or how we say to each other, if I was to say, who are you? You would say to me, and I can ask this to anybody anywhere on the world, you will say to me your name and what you do for money, your job title. And why do we do that? We spoke about this earlier. Why do we ask that question? And let's be honest, it's because we inherently want to know where we are on the totem pole with other people in the group. Where am I in the ego chain? Am I less than this person? Am I more than this person? You know, am I, is my title bigger than theirs? Do I need to give them more respect or less? So I I call bullshit on humanity. <laughs> I, I call bullshit on it all. But it is it is we we talked about it earlier. It is such a great question to ask because the answers are so uh, confronting. Like they're all that's the answer that we're giving it, and and the mechanism why is is even more mind blowing that we mm. really like so actually we're so insecure in a way that yeah. we that we depend on how we feel about ourselves on it's dependent on on what the other person that we got in front of us is doing for living or mm. or what she what he or she has done you try to evaluate yourself in that question to compare yourself to the other person 
where do I belong in this chain if I'm with this other person? That's what we're actually doing. It's an ego test. But it's not so surprising because look at how we're raised. We're putting these school systems, right, that puts us in boxes, categories, straight away. Even as a little kid, you know if you're the, the smart kid or the dumb kid, the wealthy kid or the poor kid. You already know your status. Mm. You were taught that straight away. And you are taught no matter what shape or size you are, you have to fit in this box. You have to think this way. You have to test this way. You have to get the score this way. You have to be this little puppet in order for you to be accepted. We are raised like that for years in this kind of society. Society tells us how to look, how to act, how to react, what to believe in, um, what the outcome should be, how you should speak, how you should interact with others. Our cultures, our societies, our school systems is teaching you and molding you to be this little image inside of a box. And then we become adults and think, shit, well, who am I? And how did I get so messed up? How can I not move forward as a healthy human being who knows my own passion, who knows my own purpose, who knows that I fit into the circle of life, into this interconnectedness, wovenness? Um, How is it that you become a human being that doesn't know why you sent yourself here? to have this experience in the first place? How is it that there's so many human beings on planet Earth that don't know their place or what's really valuable? Even to ask that question, who are you? And actually what's happening in our minds when we ask it, what we're really trying to find is our place in the totem pole here. Mm. Below, above, somewhere in the middle, am I equal to your status? But status doesn't matter. I think the best way to look at this is if you go to visit any indigenous tribe. And this is the one thing that I have found overall. It's a line that runs through every indigenous culture, whether I'm in Mongolia, South America, uh, North America, the Sami. It doesn't matter what tribe I'm with. It's the same. They don't care what the fashion craze is. They don't care what's popular on TV. They don't care what's on TikTok. They don't care what your job title is or how much money you make. They don't care about their hairstyle or how much makeup or a facelift or nail polish. They don't care. So that's interesting, isn't it? How much attention we put on things that don't matter in society today, Mm -hmm. in the Western world especially. What they care about is their understanding of the natural world how to fit into the natural world, how to make the world a better place, how to, you know, understand this interconnectedness, how to be a good human being. In our culture, because we're not wasting our time, wasting our time, planting our food and harvesting and building our buildings for shelter in the way the indigenous culture do, We are obsessed with silly things like, uh, what are you wearing? Uh, Your makeup, your hairstyle, your facelift, your, uh, all of these women who are in the sixties, but have pulled so tight, they look 25 with more plastic in their face. (laughs) It's really kind of shocking. Well, also, I grew up in such a warm and closed off community that was never an image. And now it's really, it's really something to see. 
But it's also, pardon, like, yeah, I'm just going to say it, but it's also mm-hmm. ugly also. Eh? It looks like you have plastic in your face. Yeah. Yeah. Had nothing to do with human kind of thing anymore. Well, what happened to beauty in age? Honestly, and it's not because I'm a lesbian, it's because I'm a human being. I think women are more beautiful as they age. There is wisdom there. There is self-knowing there. There is honor and pride and a dignity there. That is wonderful. That is beautiful. What happened? What happened to loving a woman for being truly beautiful? And the same goes for men. Wisdom and dignity are gorgeous. Why are we putting plastic inside of our face? I will never understand it. <laughs> I just won't. It doesn't make sense to me. No, but it, it is kind of illustrative of how of how society is nowadays, right? That we looks matter yeah. more than the the heart and the soul. Yeah, and we don't want to put in the work anymore as well, right? Because if you still want to look younger, if you if you age, I mean. Go to the gym, mm-hmm. be healthy, eat good food, don't drink too much. Not all things you can do to well age in a, in a beautiful way. Mm-hmm. But we also <laughs> too lazy to do that as well. Yeah. Just be healthy and age beautifully. Be healthy and age beautifully. <laughs> yeah. What um? What do you think that um? Because you traveled and I've seen a lot of the world, right? Like and and I got have. taught to by a lot of elders and wisdom keepers and a lot of people with a lot of wisdom in them. Uh, and you met a lot of people still in the tribes and stuff. Mm-hmm. But what what do you think that someone in a tribe would answer to the question, um, "Who are you?" Like, if you would ask, maybe did did you did you ask that question? To, yeah. To, yeah, yeah. And what are what what are the answers that you get? So from? the answers are all very different, but I guess they're all very soulful. I would say it really comes from the heart. Um, I'm thinking of specific examples. So uh, I remember Don Alejandro of the the Kogi tribe talking about uh, he is a dreamer. He loves to give gifts to Mother Earth. Uh, he was always very interested. Tell me your dreams. He was very wanting to know about my dreams and where my gifts wanted to go and how to because they give in. Uh, symbolism with their words with gifts to Mother Earth to give back to her. That's a, that's a big one. Westernized cultures uh, and religions, we are taught to pray, to ask for things. Indigenous cultures pray to give. Wow. Huge difference. Yeah. Huge difference. Yeah, there's you know, I've asked this question to so many people. Uh, there's lovers of trees. People who are passionate about music, people who are passionate about water, seeds, flowers, you know, you name it, it's out there. But they are very quick to this answer. And that's the biggest difference. They are very quick to the answer because they know exactly what they're passionate about and they know their place in the circle of life. Nothing less, nothing more. They know their place. It is. Just like that tree in a forest does not think it's less or more than another plant species. That's just what they know. It seems just to be a part of them. And if you're raised in it, it would be a part of you too. But we have a, such a struggle if I was to ask somebody, and I do it to everybody that takes a shamanic journey with me or, or a, a trip with me, I'll ask, who are you? And then I'll ask again once I get their name and their occupation. I'll say, no, no, no. no Th- who, thank you for yeah, this. That's nice. But who are you? I want to know who you are. And it takes people a while. And is who you are, is that, is that, can you equal that to your passion? Because, yes. yeah, that's what yeah. you, I hear the word passion. Mm-hmm. 
So who you are is actually what you're passionate about. Yes. So passion and purpose. And if we're talking about the four elements, which my books are very uh, dedicated to, and I've been teaching the last 15 years on stages and around the world, and it's always about the four elements because it really does tie in everything. So I'm very passionate about that. That's my fire. So when it comes to the elements, there's nothing that's true for Mother Earth that's not true for the human being. So it's all there. And our fire element, which we have, just like Mother Earth has, is our passion and our purpose. And if I'm to ask you what is your passion and your purpose, still people struggle. So I'd like to say, well, what do you love? Like essentially love. Something just that's just from you. There's no wrong answer. There's no right answer. What do you love? What makes you bubble inside? What... What makes you excited? What brings spark to your life? What, like for me, if I see even the words written down, nature, wildlife, Mother Earth, I, my heart beats harder. I, I get more excited. I, I become alive. It's just part of my DNA. I am a lover of Mother Earth. Now my wife is a doctor. She's fascinated and gets excited about the human body. It's all about the body, but also dance and music and color. We are very opposite people. I like things that are very monotone, and I drive her crazy because I like everything in order and clean, and and she's just full blast. Um, But we're supposed to be different we're supposed to look different. We're supposed to have different passions. We have uh, different purposes. We should have never been put in boxes as children um, because there is no one separate box. There is something different for all of us. And our passions and our purpose have to do with what we love, uh, what makes us us. And that answer can be absolutely anything because we're all different. We're all supposed to be different. We can't be all expected to be that one Brazilian nut tree in a forest it would all crumble. We need all of the different species and all of the different plants and all of the different animals to make it work. We're not supposed to be the same. No. Do you think that we... Well, you speak speak to people a lot, but especially with those questions, but do you think that we know what our passion is? I think essentially we do. Yeah? Yeah. It's just... Um, it's suppressed. Suppressed, yeah. I could call in any 10 random children into this room right now and say, what do you love? They will answer it just like that. They don't have to stop and think. They know what it is. But be in that school system for so many years, be in society that teaches you the heart doesn't matter, but your style does. You know, we, we get suppressed with this. And then we become adults and think, well, shit. What am I passionate about? Who who am I? If you take away my job title and my looks and what people love about me or say they love about me, who am I? If I take away just saying that you are not good because people think you're good and you're not bad because somebody said you're bad, what are you left with? Mm. Do you really know who you are? Do you know what you stand for? Do you know what you're passionate about? Do you know what you love? Do you know why you're here, what you're learning, what is your growth. You're a human being who chose, your spirit chose to come here and have this body to take this test and to live this passionate journey. So why are you doing it? Who are you? 
Those are essential questions that I think we all have to have an answer to and get an answer to. And the only way you're going to find the answer to that is if you set aside what other people think of you and the status you're striving to to get to and you're putting all this energy into your looks and what you're wearing and what others think of you and am I doing it right or am I doing it wrong? Do people like me? Do people blah, 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 blah. None of that really matters. You're going to die at some point. We all are. Your soul's going to go to whatever it's going to go to, and it's not going to matter what color of nail polish you wore. You know, or if you were 10 pounds heavier one month than the last month, it doesn't <laughs> matter. Your, your mass index will not matter. So if you can set aside the nonsense of who you're not, you're not your income. You're not your job title. You're not your status. You're not these things, set those aside for a moment and truly, honestly sit down with yourself and say, so who am I? What do I stand for? What will I stand against? What do I love? What am I passionate about? Who, who am I? Why did I come here? What, what makes my heart pound faster? I think we all have to sit down and truly be honest with ourselves and, and start making a list. Do you think we suppress this because um, the thought of really living your passion is somehow, it's such a, a far out there thought because there's so many things in between of you um, living that, being possible to live that passion or to make money out of it or, right? Like, mm -hmm. so we just suppress it and don't think about it because it's, it's just too big, mm -hmm. too far away. Mm -hmm. I think that's the main reason we do it. One, because we weren't taught it had value. I think that's the biggest one. That doesn't have value. Society teaches you what does have value, and that's what you should follow. So we suppress it. It doesn't have enough value, so let's push it in the background. But it will always nag at you. It will always be there pushing and pointing a finger in your back saying, hey, but you came here for a reason. So listen. So it's always going to be there. And I don't think it has to be, okay, if I'm passionate about pine trees, I should quit doing the job I'm doing to pay my bills so only be with pine trees. But you know it's there, so give it space. Give it time. Give it love. Give it attention. It doesn't have to. You don't have to change your career. You don't have to change your whole life. But give your inner self quality time, quality attention, quality love. It's your soul. Take care of your soul. Take care of yourself. Just as you would so easily go to a spa because you want to relax, take care of your soul. And that's listening to your, to your passion. Yes. Yeah, right? Yeah, it's the reason why you came here. I truly, honestly believe that each one of us has a soul, a spirit, a great I am. Um, that spark that, that came from oneness that we all came from. I don't believe in a, uh, a religious deity, if it were. I would say great spirit, I guess, because whatever it is, oneness. I believe that we all pulled a little self, uh, sense of self away from that and sent ourselves here to have this experience. I don't think I came here randomly. I don't think it's a punishment by God because life is just fucking hard and you have to just grind through it. I think I chose to come here. I know I did. I'm in love with Mother Earth. I love everything about it. 
I came here to experience being a mother, being a wife, being a friend. Um, I came here to love this planet. I came here for this. I know it. And, and so did you. So why did you come? You know, that's, that's an essential question that I think we should all ask ourselves. Because this life is not just to be here randomly for a, a second in time and then go, struggle through it, and then go. It doesn't seem like reality. No. Why would we do that? No. We're not here to suffer. We're here to learn and to grow, to make ourselves better, uh, bigger and better, and to fall down and learn how to get back up again and assist each other and love the world we sent ourselves to. This one gets me in, and I think it's because I was born into such a strong, strict Mormon culture. It was really a cult. It was all obsessive that once I left it and once I figured out, you know, you got to run and I ran and I lived this totally different life. But I'm so obsessed with trying to understand humanity. Why do we always obsess about a God or a dogma or a religion somewhere outside of ourselves in this planet? Why are we always looking up? What if we sent ourselves here to have a journey and experience on planet Earth, to learn from our planet, to learn from each other. We sent ourselves here for a reason, and all of these answers are in nature. You can really find them. Um, I don't want to look up and play pretend. It's, it's right here. It's right here. Why do you think that is? I think humans have naturally... Um, went to a deity or to a dogma because we didn't understand hard things. We didn't understand suffering. We don't understand. When you can't understand something that happens, it must be for um, a deity or a god. And I, I, I do believe that if you look back throughout history, we've always, well, not always, because before man-made religions, there was one unified belief system all over the planet, shared by all in, uh, the cultures that lived on the planet at that time. And you can find that evidence in the Venuses. And I don't know if you know them. They're the little carvings of women found all over the planet. Some dating back um, to 280,000 uh, years ago, which is mind-blowing because that is before Homo sapien. That is Homo erectus. So that's they before. already found that. Yes, we have carvings. The The one coming from Tantan in Africa is the oldest of 280,000 years old. These are carvings of deities of heavy-hipped, heavy-breasted women. Um, it's all to do with fertility, uh, birth, rebirth, um, and they symbolize the planet, Mother Earth. Um, they're found everywhere from Asia, South America, Australia, um, Africa holds the oldest. Austria, I would say, holds the most popular. Um, but these deities are found all over the world, and they're ancient, ancient, carved deities of, of women. And so this all predates, this is the even earlier than shamanism. It is the earliest humans believing in um, the feminine to give birth. Or Mother Earth herself. So before man-made religion um, and the belief system that you have to believe in a God that would judge you on being worthy or unworthy of his love, um, 
There was the understanding of the natural world, the understanding of air, wind, fire, and earth, and how they all work together to to create life and just to sustain your own. So I think that there was a time and a period where we didn't have a dogma in the sky. Um, but the dogma in the sky has existed in thousands of different ways. Mm. I don't believe in any of them. Um, but I guess, so for Christians, they would really hate me for that. But I just say, I don't believe in one more than you don't believe in. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's it. Um, but I always think that if we, we struggled with something, war, famine, uh, disease, a loss of a loved one, all of these things that we don't have an answer for, it's easier to say, um, God did it, and it must be for a bigger reason, you know, or you don't know, um, prime example, simple example, um, let's take Jonah in the whale, Jonah in the whale out of the Bible. It was very feasible for them to believe that a man was swell, uh, swallowed by a whale and lived inside of the whale's stomach for several days before being spit out so that he could go teach his people. We know now you can't live inside of a whale's stomach. I mean, that's science. We know it for a fact. But it, it's easy, um, especially in the earlier days, to believe in something else because we didn't know and I, th- I do think it's easier to believe in something that's there to comfort you or to, um, yeah, the deity in the sky did it. And it also, it also, well, the consequences, I think, that it also takes you away a bit of, of your own potential, doesn't it? Does. It? it does. It distracts you from seeing what is here. What is my potential? Uh, what's the potential of others? What's the potential of this planet and the interaction? And what's? look at where you live. Look at the magic. It's, I've said this so many times. People watch uh, the movie Avatar and they think, wow, what a magical planet. That is your planet. We have plants and animals that glow. You can interact with them. You know, uh, plants can feel when you touch them. That is the, you live on a magical planet. You just have to understand it. You just mm. have to look into it. It's magic. Mm. We, we live in a very magical place. Do you think, um, because like the the fungi connecting everything underneath the earth, mm-hmm. yeah, or in the earth, they're connecting everything, so the trees and the plants and everything is connected. Do you think that we, in a, maybe in a different way, but also similar to that, as a human beings, are also connected and, and are able to communicate in the way, in that kind of way, like the fungi is doing to the trees. I do, and there's scientific evidence to back that up. Not only do I believe that we all come from something greater, whatever that is, I'll call it source or light or great spirit. Um, so I, I do believe that we all come from something together, that we were together and we're here. You are no, another form of me and I'm another form of you. And so that takes understanding and we can communicate and understand one another. But... There, let's go a step further, and there's scientific experiments um, where you can be placed in another part of a building on a university campus, and I can be placed on another side, and when you're shown a light, I know that you saw it. Um, there are many of these exper- uh, experiments done. There's also experiments done where I can be on a different continent, and I say your name out loud. The person that I just said knows their name just got called. Um Mothers, I think this is the best example. 
Mothers know and will always know if there's something wrong with their child, and that child can be on a different continent. Mothers just know, or fathers just know, and the reason why we can do this is because we love them so much. This is a prime example that I also give in my teachings. When you love something so much because you're so connected to that thing, you know when there's something wrong. You you feel it in your guts. You just know. So many people ask, well, how do I communicate with Mother Earth or how do I communicate with trees or animals? Because I love them so much. And I think it is a give and take. Trees can heal us. That's scientifically documented too. Hugging a tree literally brings up your endorphins, your vibration, your frequency. It's the same as grounding when you get your bare feet on the earth. You feel better, and it scientifically makes you better. So it decreases heart rate and all kinds of things. If you love nature as much as you love your beloved or your children, that communication happens very, very easily, just like you can um, create a a dialogue with your child or your loved one when they're not in the same room. You feel it. It happens inside of you. It's not a voice. I don't need to speak English to you um, while looking at you for you to know um, that I'm thinking of you or if there's something wrong with my loved one, if that heart connection is there. And it happens the same way in communication with plants and animals. They love you just as much. Their their frequency never changes. It just is. They're not dealing with ego. They don't have to deal with ego and all of the nonsense that we deal with on a daily basis. Their vibration just is. And they are. you can connect to that and they can connect to you. So their vibration's up here. You can have the worst day in the world and your vibration's down here. And you go hug a tree your vibration will go to match it. And that is because of the universal law or the universal truth, the strongest energy will always win. That is true throughout the universe. The strongest energy always wins. So that's when we come to crystals. Nice. Yes, baby. Crystals. Crystals, Mother Earth's crystals, solid crystals, hold Mother Earth's frequency. It is a constant, strong energy. So whether you wear them on bracelets or on a necklace or have them in your house, it is vibrating at Mother Earth's frequency level. That level will never drop. And so I think there's a lot of miscommunication when it comes to crystals as well. Like I hear people cleaning their crystals all the time, and it's really unnecessary because the strongest energy always wins. If I'm having a very bad day, that means my energy is low. If I'm really sick, my energy is low. So by holding or touching crystal, it brings your vibration up to match the highest energy. That's how energy works, no matter it's if it's uh, on the moon, in the universe, on planet Earth. That's just the way it works. So physical solid crystals can help us in a million different ways. They are energy-creating machines. You can take a voltmeter, just like you would use on your car battery, a negative wire and a positive wire, and you will get a reading of created energy from a crystal. So just like your car, we'll show you how much energy is in that battery. You can put it on a crystal, any crystal, and you'll get a reading of created energy. Crystals are alive. Nikola Tesla once said, In a crystal, we have a clear evidence of the existence of a formative life principle. And though we cannot understand the life of a crystal, it is nonetheless a living being. 
That's very important. And um, we also know that Nikola Tesla created a free energy device. It was working, operational, using a quartz crystal and the atmosphere itself. Uh, we know Nikola Tesla did it in the 1890s. We also know the Egyptians also used them. We know the ancient Greeks used them. Uh, earliest ones that we know of is Sumerians. Um, we know that everyone, all the indigenous tribes use crystals. Oh, yeah? Every single one of them. Yeah. Wow. Crystals are energy-creating machines. And no matter how bad of a day you've had or even sickness, disease, uh, crystals, because they vibrate at such a, ha- a high level, your energy comes up to meet them. Um, and and then your energy is raised, your vibration is raised, therefore you can heal faster, you can um, change your mood faster. It's a bit like music. Listen to a good piece of music, your energy changes. Crystals will do the same thing. It's it's hard for me because a lot of people, if I start talking about crystals or spirituality, they're like, oh, hippie weird stuff. <laughs> but this, oh, I, I want to shake people sometimes because the knowledge about crystals and the science behind crystals is, is enormous. Mm. We use and operate with uh, quartz crystal, quartz, uh, in just about every electronic. Cell phones, computers, our sonar devices, and submarines are used off of quartz crystal. Uh, I can list uh, this table long uh, of things that are utilized off of quartz uh, or crystal itself. We use them all of the time. Something so simple as a, a clock, of course. Our clocks are used, or radios are used with the quartz crystal. If you think of the earliest clocks, they have that pendulum. Think of a grandfather clock. They've got that pendulum moving back and forth. Why we use that is because it sets a rhythm and a time. Excuse me, I'm going to have a glass of water. Yeah, sure. But a pendulum can slow down. It can become offbeat or it can even stop. But what did we replace that with? We replaced it with crystal. And why did we do that? So all of our clocks, our radios, everything, LED lights, everything's run off of crystals. That is because if you take any crystal and you can get a reading, it also has a pulse. Crystals have a natural pulse. And that pulse is 3,000, 32,000, it's over 32,000 pulses a second. So it took great technology for us to slow it down and count how many, but it's thirty over 32,000 pulses per second. And it's always accurate, always correct, never slows down, never stops. So this all of, all of a sudden becomes a very reliable source of not only a created energy, but a timing device. When you look at little electrode boards and computers, you will see that little, looks like a little silver capsule. Inside of those silver capsules are quartz crystals. Mm. Um, Crystal is used in everything because it's absolutely reliable. It will never skip a beat. We use them in everything because not only will they uh, conduct an energy, they transmit an energy. This is what's so special about them. So they can, you can hold a piece of crystal and you can have your own emotions, your, your feelings, your wants, your wishes, your intentions, and it can hold information. This has been studied as well. Crystals can hold information. They make that information stronger. They push that information out. So that's why it's so important for us to wear crystal 
Many indigenous cultures always wear crystal, and they always have. Um, by holding a piece of crystal, you can put your intentions for yourself, uh, prayers for yourself, always the highest, always the highest good, because a crystal cannot hold negative. So always the highest good, and then wear it. It's not only charging that thought, that prayer for yourself, but it's making it stronger, and it's pushing it out around you. And this can also be uh, monitored by science how much uh, of the frequency is there. Does it matter what kind of crystals? Because there are a lot of them, and if you would go to a store, <clears throat> you can read, like, it's good for this and that and this and that. Mm -hmm. But is it really important which, which one you use? Or Well, I like to say there are, well, there are thousands of different kinds of crystals. Some are really expensive. Some are cheap, like simple quartz, which I wear all the time. Um, some different crystals have a stronger, uh, how should I say, it? a stronger frequency for certain things. Like a rose quartz will always be good for blood. Um, labradorite, always good for meditation and calming. It does have that effect over you. But quartz crystal does the job of all of them. Simple quartz can do all the jobs of all the crystal. So it's not only good for your blood and the meditation and everything everything else. Quartz can, can do it all. Quartz is usually found at the surface of the earth. No bombing, no drills, no child labor. It's cheap. It's everywhere. And you can get it anywhere for, for an easy price. And you know you haven't harmed the planet. Hmm. Because it is being used in, in, in motherboards, I believe, right? In computers. Mm -hmm. it's, yep. it's, it's also because of the information. Yes. Yeah. Germany about, oh goodness, how many years ago now, um, 10 years ago, figured out that you can take a piece of flat quartz crystal about the size of a one euro, um, and you can store as much information, as many uh, gigabytes, uh, computer bytes as you want to put on it. It will never get full, nor will it ever lose that information in a little disk of quartz. Uh, they made that discovery in Germany and it, I believe within the next 10 years, we'll see it implemented in all of our technology. Wow. Yep. Big, big. It was called the, the discovery of, of, the, of the time. Yeah. Wow. It's so weird, eh? That we, we use it in the computers and in everything, but mm -hmm. we, that's where we stop. We second guess using it for our own yeah. health. <laughs> yeah. 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 For ourselves. But it's, that's how it's been used um, from the beginning of time is to help human beings. If you think of crystal itself, it holds the memory of Mother Earth. It holds her living uh, pulse. It holds her living frequency. And everything's energy. I'm energy. You're energy. How I feel is energy. What I say is energy. Hers is a solid pulse of a very high energy. Why wouldn't I want to wear that? It has an effect on anything lower than her pulse. So whether I'm feeling bad, I'm sick, or anything else, it will pull my energy up because the strongest energy always wins. Hmm. So also in terms of like um, healing yourself, because that's also a thing, right? Like nowadays, we go to hospitals and go mm -hmm. to this and to that. I mean, it's good that we have hospitals for if someone really bad uh, mm -hmm. is happening to you, but um, we we forget the fact that we are still able to, to heal ourselves, right? Yes. So I'm a huge believer in plant medicine, herbs. That's part of shamanism. Um, 
understanding the natural world and how you can help yourself. I'm a big believer in in crystals. I I do personal healings for others um, in which I teach them how to use crystals for themselves. And I'm a big believer in hospitals and doctors. I think the mind and the soul or the mind and the spirit have to come together. One of my elders, Isawu, from the Hopi tribe, used to teach me keep one foot in this world and one foot in the other mm. um, as a shaman, meaning. Um, so use the plants, look behind, and, that, and that's what shaman means. It's from um, Siberia, very ancient word meaning to look to understand, to know, to look behind the reason, uh, to understand plant medicines, understand the planet. That is what it means. So I'm a big believer in using the natural world, but we also have great minds. We are human beings that have advanced in, in leaps and bounds, and we know technology and medicines and all of these things, of course, hand in hand. I think both are just as vital. Yeah. Isn't that the solution for almost everything? Absolutely. Heart and mind. You can't just... It's like the old condor and eagle prophecy that's been around for decades for South America and America. North America went the way of the mind, the eagle. Mind. We have technology and advancements and all of these things. But in North America, we've almost lost completely the importance of spirituality, the soul, getting back to the root. South America is the complete opposite. They are very, very still in, in the soul, in the heart, connected to the land, and not so much in mind and technology and things. And now it's time for them to come together, to merge together. Because when you have both, you can, when you have both feet, you can go forward. It's very important that we have both. Are we going to do that in the next couple of, I don't know. Pray. Otherwise, Mother Earth is going to kick us off. She's like, that's enough. Get off. (laughs) I think there's only so far that we can push our planet without respect, without love, without dignity, and just take and take and take before our planet kicks us off as a species. Mm. There will be a limit. And we're already pushing that limit pretty hard. And do you think that happened during Atlantis as well? Do you, do you believe I, actually in, in the Atlantis story that there was like a civilization who was... I think there's many civilizations that have come and gone and we have no recollection of them. If, if we know without uh, any question, scientific evidence, that um, Homo sapien has been around for nearly 300,000 years. Upright human beings, thoughts, brains, just like you and I, we have been here for that long. And yet we have human history of 6,000 years old. That's when human history started. We base it at 6,000 years. That's it. It's Sumerian time. <laughs> but we also know, finding a place like Gobekli Tepe and mm. other places around the world that's doubled that. So now it's 12,000 years old, yet we have no history about them. We just know our history starts at 6,000 years. That means 99% of all human history is lost. 99%? Yeah, it's lost to us. We only know from 6,000 years on until today. So yes, I believe that there are many civilizations that came before us. Um, we know that because we know that many of the, the pyramids on our planet are much older than have been uh, said to us. Uh, we know that because I just took a group to Egypt There are statues in Egypt, some with a technology that far outweigh anything that we can create today. With our lasers, with our computers, we can't exact what they've made. But there are statues there that have a heat 
damage to them that can only have come from a solar flare um, that happened, we know for a fact, on planet Earth around 11,000 years ago. So dating these statues and some of these pyramids, uh, we've missed the mark by at least 5,000 years. Mm. I think they're much older. I mean, like Graham Hancock, for example, does a lot of work on this as well. I love his work also. But he he somehow, for me, fails to conclude then what happened exactly and why why it did happen that we had uh, another civilization who was maybe way further in in some ways than we are. Yep. Um, but do you think because that's what that's all that's I think about it a lot. Like okay, so we are now moving like we're in such a disbalance at this moment in the world, right? Mm-hmm. So and we are doing all this stuff and 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 technology and it feels somehow it feels a bit like Atlantis as mm-hmm. well. Do you, so do do you think that nature back then was nature's way to say okay, this too much, too far in the hat, too much uh, technology. Uh, too much mind going on, mm. reset. I think we're too much mind today. Yeah, I would say in our ancient technologies, uh, our ancient ways of being, our ancient ancestors, if we're going to talk about different societies that were here and gone, um, when we talk about things like Atlantis or certain civilizations that just had a technology that we cannot replicate, like some places in Egypt or Pumupunku in Bolivia, I believe that those societies got that far in their knowledge, beyond ours today, because they were living in a heart frequency, mm. love frequency. The more loving you are, the more um, understanding you become, the more intelligent you become. That's another universal pro- promise. The more loving someone is, the more intelligent they become. That's from Einstein. This is just the way it is. We are based on ego base. Our society is ego base. So we can go as far as our mind will take us. But I think living in an ego base is a bit like the Roman Empire. You can get pretty high, but then you're going to tumble. So I would say that it didn't happen um, years and years ago to great societies living in a love consciousness that they got too far and Mother Earth kicked them off. Mm. I would say that was a cataclysm. It was. I, I believe in cataclysm because there is just rock-solid evidence that cataclysm did happen to our planet around 11,000 years ago. Uh, we know this by geoscience, by everything that shows us this, from the crystal structures coming out of the ground to um, quick melt ice, uh, leaving scars on the earth. Uh, There's just so much evidence to say, and that's not even a spiritual person. This is just science saying, yet this happened about 11,000 years ago. There was a flood about this many years ago. You can just see it. It's in the earth for proof. Um, But... Back to how many species have been on this planet, right? Our planet is 4.45 billion years old. And we only know the 6,000, the last 6,000 years. But we've been here much, much longer. Mother Earth has seen species greater than us come and go. Mother Earth has seen us start with, you know, first life from hydrothermal vents uh, mixing with brine at the bottom of the sea to then eventually giving life to lipids, the first structured uh, spherical protocols in the, on Earth, giving life to, to uh, plankton that made oxygen in the air, which then gave rise to uh, the fish and then uh, amphibians and then dinosaurs and then birds and then finally mammals and boom, us. We've been here but a speck of a speck of a speck of time. Mm. And out of all of that time, 
only the time that we know of, modern humans, since the industrial age, we have shat on our planet mm. so hard. Like the the amount of CO2 and the wreckage that we have done to our water, to our air, to our land, to the other species is unfathomable. And it has pushed us now into the, fifth, uh, the sixth grade extinction. We are in it. Uh, for years, I started teaching 15 years ago, and I used to teach, you know, if we all come together and we all lift our vibration, we can really change this before the mark hits. Well, we've jumped over that mark now. Um, we've surpassed our worst predictions for five years and now 10 years. It's way over the line. Um, we are now putting more carbon dioxide into the atmosphere than ever before this year. We are cutting down more forests than ever before, ever on planet Earth. It's not slowed down at all. It's spiked. So I like to say, hold on to your bootstraps because things are going to get different. Mm. They, they really are. And instead of being sad about it or angry about it, we are moving into the sixth uh, great extinction on planet Earth. It's not going to happen tomorrow. It's not going to happen in a couple years. We are gradually moving into a different extinction state, which means Mother Earth is going to look different. Her weather patterns are going to move and shift. And that's where it comes in. We have to be the strongest of the strong. Now, that's the most ancient prophecy on planet Earth. Um, a time will come on planet Earth when Mother Earth is shifting um, humans will have all but cut away the umbilical cord between the natural world, Mother Earth, and themselves. And a time will come when the strongest of the strong will inhabit the Earth together at the same time. Now, this prophecy has been on the planet for as long as human memory has. And it is a prophecy that shared throughout all indigenous cultures around the planet. Now, they didn't have a radio or a telegraph to share the idea with each other, but it's been here for that many years. And now all of the indigenous leaders on planet Earth are saying, you are who we've been waiting for. It is you. You are the strongest of the strong. When I first became little grandmother, I thought, wow, you know, we should really be proud of ourselves. That's cool. We are so strong. We're just going to move um, into this higher vibration and love's going to rule the world and we can really do it. Now, I don't want to sound cynical, but I've kind of got a different reality. <laughs> Um, we have passed um, all of those worse uh, you know we we were looking at the health of our planet and global warming and all of these things and we have the prediction for 5 years and 10 years and we missed that mark by a lot we jumped way over and so our world is going to warm and we've already begun the warming process and and that's not to say bad human, but it's, it's just happening. It's happening. Our world's going to change. And we're going to have to um, be the strongest of the strong because we're going to see our planet shift and our planet change. And we're going to have refugees, uh, eco-refugees on our planet. And we have dirty water without clean fish and clean air and you know the whole scenario. And I don't want to bring people down by this, but it's, it's our reality. 
So we do have to be the strongest of the strong. And what I mean by that is because no matter what's happening on our planet and no matter what's on the news, there's never anything positive on the news. But whatever's going on out there, we have to not fall into that trap of the tragedy of the commons. And I want to explain what that is because it's a serious problem. I get emails, at least a couple emails a week. I get it on Facebook and Instagram. Why don't you just give up? Now, I get that question a lot Mm. because people follow science. They can read these scientific articles just like I do. Why don't you just give up? Why do you keep pushing? Because I believe in us and because I believe that I'm not going to fall in that trap. It's a tragedy of the commons. And what that means is, well, the world is just messed up. There's nothing I can do about it, so I'm not even going to try. That would be catastrophic, not for the planet, but for yourself. Yes, our weather patterns are going to change and things are going to look different. It's not going to happen overnight. We're talking about hundreds, if not millions of years, something's going to change. So why give up? Yes, we can't stop Nestle or Coca-Cola or any of the other big uh, producers of CO2 that's going into the air. We can't stop China. We can't stop these things. But it doesn't mean stop living your best life. It doesn't mean stop... uh, caring about your own vibration, your own goodness and what you give to the world and how you use your voice and what seed you spread throughout your wind to to grow something green again, to lift others up and to uh, take care of what's around your community, your family, your yard, uh, your patch of green. Don't give up on yourself. You sent yourself to this beautiful planet and you're here for a reason. I'm here for a reason. And yes, things might get tough, but that's why we have to be the strongest of the strong. We are here. We're here together. And when we move forward together, we can move mountains. We really can. There is no time to give up. Why in the world would you send yourself here for just such a small amount of time? Your soul is here on this magical planet that is Mother Earth, and all that she has to give, and all that she was teaching you, is to give up? Mm. No way will I give up. There's no reason to give up. This is my life. And I want to value it and honor it and and be the very best person I can. There's never a reason to give up. No. Uh, I think that's a really good message, that, that you have to live your own best life. And I agree with you on everything, except just one small part. Mm-hmm. I don't really believe that climate change is a big thing and we are we are the one causing it. I think that's a scare tactic for us to um, maybe even... Well, it's a scare tactic, I think, in, in, in pushing other agendas, greenwashing agendas of big companies and stuff. Oh, I would agree with you 100% on that. I Well, let me half that question. In every scientific... Um, examination of every species, of every waterway, of every uh, north to south pole, uh, volcanic to swampland, there is evidence of global warming. Mm. That's just a scientific fact. Now, are they greenwashing this? Are they pushing agendas? Are they trying to market and strategize? Absolutely they are. I think they, well, the plain evidence of the fact of Uh, carbon footprint. How many times have you heard of carbon footprint? What's your carbon footprint? Mm. What are you doing to the world? Do you know who made up the term carbon footprint? 
these big companies mm. that are shoving carbon into our air. <laughs> so what they've done is they sat at board meetings at the table and discussed how can we turn the attention from what we are doing onto the common person. And that's exactly what they did. It was a strategy, and they've done it, and they're trying to get you and I and all of the public to believe that it's our fault. So control how you eat, control what you do, control how you... It's them putting the shit in the air. Mm. It doesn't matter if you and I stop traveling today and walk everywhere from now on. It's not going to be in a bit of difference from what Nestle puts in the air in an hour. Mm. So, yes, there's some washing going on. And yes, there's a blame game going on. Absolutely. I agree with you 100%. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's that's important because I think we, I mean, we are to blame for some stuff, maybe a lot. But I think the, the big companies who actually run the world... They have to change. Yeah. You and I are not going to stop living our life when the big companies are doing it. Yeah. Uh, yes, there are small things we can do, and they do make a difference. Um, America uses more bottled plastic bottled mm. water that can actually, in a year's time, that can uh, uh, drive 1,300,000 automobiles for a year. Wow. That's America alone. Europe is right there next to them and the highest uh, users of plastic bottled water. There's no use. There's never a reason for us in Europe or America to drink out of a plastic bottle. We have clean drinking water in our faucets. And on every um, uh, blind test, people chose tap water over bottled water for taste. And 79% of all bottled water comes out of a tap. Mm. So it's not like some crystal spring that they have on their on their image anyway. It's it's absolute nonsense. But we are the biggest consumers of bottled water. And the average they should get the Dutch people. Because Dutch people like money. <laughs> Listen up, Dutchies. Okay, so for a year, if you do your eight glasses of water a day, as you're supposed to, it on average costs you forty nine cents a year drink that much water coming out of your faucet whereas if it was bottled water it'd be in the thousands and the bottled water is coming from mostly the tap water anyway mm. I, I would filter the water though the, the Dutch I water use, I use a uh, filter as well yeah 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 Yep, no reason for it to be in a plastic bottle. No, but I think that's also where where our power lies, right? That um, we can change how the big companies think or behave um, with where we bring our money. That's exactly where the power lies. The consumer. Yeah. Yeah, the consumer play. So for things like this, the bottled water, not only is it uh, less healthy for you because it's sitting in plastic yeah. and you're getting nanoplastics in your body, it's not good for you. It's just a, a, a money play. A big company is selling you water in a bottle instead of free from your tap. Um, yeah, it's it's a company play. Uh, it's big, big, big money. But this is a consumer trap because places around the world, there are millions and millions and millions of uh, people who don't have clean drinking water who need those bottles of water. That's where they should be going. But it is a consumer trap and it I've talked about this for yeah, 15 years, that we don't need to be buying bottled water. And what's the number one left garbage after one of my events? Plastic bottles sitting mm. on the floor every single time. It's ridiculous. But this is a prime example for us, the westernized countries that don't need it. If we stopped 
buying it, they would stop putting it on their shelves, you know, in the big uh, grocery stores. Um, so that's something that we can control as the masses. But this, uh, I don't believe in that whole, it's your carbon footprint that's doing it. Yeah. That's a big boardroom decision to protect the image of a company who's throwing trash out and blaming it on the individual. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. What do you think is your biggest lesson you've learned by traveling and, and talking to all those wisdom keepers and, and indigenous people and with all those wisdom, with the wisdom intact in their philosophy and stuff? Boy, that is a huge question. Mm. I will always remember one. I don't know if it's the biggest lesson that I've ever learned or the overall, but there's one that really sticks out for me. It really made an impression. I was sitting with a uh, chief of the Khoisan people, the Pygmy people in Africa. And I asked him before I left after our meetings and dinner and one of his many wives gave us some chicken and it was a wonderful time. And I asked him, what's the one thing or the one message you would ask me to, to go home and teach? And he said, to plant a potato. And I thought, well, what are you telling me? You know, is this some hidden message here? And then he taught me the lesson. He said, if a man has only one potato, but seven wives and many children, should he sit and pray to a god to rain food down on him? Should he go to his neighbor and say, I want your food? Should he make his wives and children go work to try to get money for the food? Or should the man plant his own potato? And I, I, that really, really stuck with me because it's so easy for us to blame something else, blame somebody else. Uh, life was hard, so this is me now. Or this all happened to me, so feel sorry for me and I can't do better. Or life is just difficult and it is what it is. Um, this is just the way it is. It's what the news tells us and life is shit and we can't make it better and I'm going to fall in that trap of the tragedy <laughs> of commons. Or, you know, no, plant your potato. What, whatever form that comes in, whoever you are, whatever passion you have, whatever purpose you came with, live it to the brightest, to the fullest, out loud, be proud of who you are, live your best life. Life is short, so live it. Don't care what anybody else thinks of you because it's none of your business. I will say that again. Do not think about any what anybody else thinks about you because it's none of your business. That's their thoughts from their life experience. That's coming from their backgrounds and their wounds and whatever it is happened in their life. It doesn't make you good. It doesn't make you bad. It doesn't give anything to your value or take anything from your value. That is their thought. Live your life. Be you. Be proud of who you are. Be proud of your passions and your purpose. Live life with color. Plant your potato. Mm. Don't expect somebody else to do it for you. That is actually quite wonderful, isn't it? That I mean, especially like in, in the spiritual groups, people who are all, yeah, with spirituality and, and, and everything what comes to that. It's a lot of healing, a lot of trauma, and everyone focuses on that, which is really good to do, I think focus on the bad stuff as well but if you strip it all down <laughs> and zoom out it's just one life where you need to have um, have fun right just yeah. like make enjoy. the most of it enjoy 
Yeah, I didn't. I did not. I do not believe I set myself here to suffer. No. I believe I came here to learn and to grow and to fall down and get back up, uh, to fall in love, to break my heart, uh, to experience. I am here to experience. Life should be loved and enjoyed. You should dance and listen to music and enjoy that red wine. That changes everything, doesn't it? It does. Right. Thank you so much my for pleasure. coming here and sharing your story and your wisdom. Hopefully a lot of people will um, will do that. Um, I'm going to close off this part of the podcast and then we're going to move straight on to the questions. Sure. I'm uh, super excited of what it's going to be. But thank you so much for this. And then small break and then we're going to do the questions, yeah? My pleasure. People, everyone, thank you so much for watching. Uh, I hope you enjoyed. We're going to do the questions that have been sent in by the viewers uh, in the next segment. And you can watch that on That's the Spirit. So if you're watching there, super good. Stay there. And if you're watching on another platform, I invite you to come to That's the Spirit and watch the questions over there. For now, thank you for watching and see you soon. Thanks. Bye. 